Welcome back to Field Notes by Ag Choice, an educational podcast focused on inspiring growth in our families, businesses, and rural communities. Thanks for listening. I'm Rachel Sadison, and welcome to our 100th Field Notes by Ag Choice podcast. Thanks for listening along the way. We have an extra special episode planned for today. Our guest is the renowned Dr. David Cole. Dr. Cole is Professor Emeritus and Academic Hall of Famer in the College of Agriculture at Virginia Tech. Dr. Cole has a keen insight into the agricultural industry, which he's gained through extensive travel, research, and involvement in ag businesses. He has traveled nearly 10 million miles, conducted more than 6,500 presentations, and published more than 2,250 articles in his career. He's also a business coach and part owner of Homestead Creamery, a value-added dairy business in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Dr. Cole, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast to help celebrate our 100th episode. Well, boy, it's great to be here, and uh, it's just an honor to be on the 100th. And uh, Rachel, when did you start doing these podcasts? <laughs> Back in March 2020. Uh, so when the pandemic hit, uh, we wanted a way to really uh, communicate with our customers and others in the industry. So that's when we started, and we're, we've made it to 100 here today. It's kind of interesting. I have done 251 uh, web and Zoom casts since March 2020 all around the world. Uh, Lisha and I were in New Zealand just recently. We went over to Sweden. So it's kind of interesting how uh, the pandemic has changed. <laughs> it certainly has. So let's dive right in and get to some of your perspectives on what's ahead for agriculture here, Dr. Cole. So we're coming up on two years of living in a, the global pandemic, and it certainly impacted all of us in countless ways. I guess, Dr. Cole, from your perspective, how has the pandemic changed agriculture? I think one of the things that we've realized, Rachel, that we had a lot of consolidation in agriculture and it really the pandemic accelerated the importance of supply and marketing chains. And we're really experiencing that aspect right now. Again, it's bottlenecked, uh, whether it's uh, technology or whether it's manufacturing and agriculture, supply chain issues, they were coming, but the pandemic just accelerated. I think the other thing that is very positive for agriculture, we found out that agriculture is very important when we saw empty uh, grocery shelves. And uh, again, this relates back to some of the processing and the supply chains. One of the things that I've seen over the past couple of years, Rachel, some real entrepreneurial agriculture producers have really expanded on the niche markets and people want to know where that food comes from and they want to make sure they can get the food and have a good experience. I think the other element that uh, we found is that you know, this pandemic spread very, very fast. Now, I'll just give you an example. When I used to travel back in the 1970s, that was for basketball. You know, about 300 uh, million people traveled per year. Just before the shutdown on the pandemic, it was 2 billion people traveled via airline. And so what we have found is that whether it's the actual COVID or the variants can spread so fast. And, and again, where we get media and it gets politicized, it can change the business models uh, uh, very, very quickly. A couple of other things, uh, we found out that we had to adapt. 
and more and more people are working remote. Uh, we're doing things a little bit uh, different. So those elements uh, there are one of the things, sometimes a black swan like this, an unusual event, will really accelerate thinking. And final element is we're seeing this uh, rural renaissance. People want to move out of cities and you're experiencing it in your area. And just seeing, uh, we don't know who our next door neighbor is going to be tomorrow. So those are some of the things the pandemic is, as I've seen, changed not only here, but around the world. Yeah, those are some great points, Dr. Cole, and you're right. Uh, there's been lots of challenges, but certainly opportunities along the way. And it's been great to see agriculture sort of uh, take the bull by the horns and use that to our advantage in some ways. So, but And I, and I agree, we have seen a, a lot of folks uh, moving to the country here in Ag uh, Choices territory. That's something we've talked about on a, on a number of our different episodes here on the podcast. So appreciate you sharing those perspectives. So now let's uh, let's turn and talk about something that's on all farmers' minds right now, high input costs, particularly fertilizer prices. So, Dr. Cole, why are we seeing those increases and how long can we expect them to continue? It's real interesting that you mentioned that uh, we're doing budgeting for our farms. And actually, we're going to go to poultry litter this year because we want to build up organic matter. We're going to use biologicals. And so we're kind of using it for a paradigm shift. But just the facts, you know, over 30% of our fertilizer comes out of China. <laughs> and of course, a large part of our nitrogen comes out of Russia. And of course, you know, as we mass troops on the Ukraine border or there's a threat in Taiwan, you know, any uh, type of element there, it just uh, increases the price of fertilizer. You know what your second thing is, we are de-emphasizing uh, fossil fuels. And of course, with the fossil fuels, that's directly related uh, to fertilizer or sprays or different things like that. And so uh, one of the things that I'll just say this, this is me saying, I think we got out ahead of our ski on this green movement and disinvested into the fossil fuels and, you know, some of the fracking and, and, and just the other elements. And so this ripples right through fertilizer, chemicals, et cetera, et cetera. I think the other one is, and we've talked about it a little earlier, is these supply chains. One of the things, you know, when you talk about supply chains, everybody thinks about the ports of Los Angeles or 80% of the global trade has to go through either the Suez or the Panama or the South China Sea. So when the ship got stuck over there in the Suez Canal, this all ripples through. But you know, another one that's really creating inflated costs, it goes back to our labor. And what happened was we had the generous stimulus checks combined with the extended unemployment and we paid people not to work. And so what happened was it really has created this labor shortage. And one of the favorite things that I do when I travel, I talk to shoeshine people in the airport and truckers out on the road. I could see this one coming actually three, four, five years ago, because when I was talking to my trucker friends at truck stops, a number of them were saying we're getting regulated and, you know, so many hours of sleep, we can't take our power naps anymore. But all you got to do is look at your interstates nationwide and the number of trucks piled up. And the baby boomer truckers basically said, we're out of here. It's a confluence of events. And you know what's so interesting? It's such a shock to us because you go back to about 1992, 1993, consumer price, producer price inflation did not, it only exceeded 5% one time. 
And so we've been kind of lulled into this low inflation. Of course, you go back in the 70s, it hit 15%. World War II, it actually hit 20%. Uh, so it's kind of a shock to our system out there. And then the other aspect, Rachel, it was the what I call double barrel approach. The Fed basically uh, made very accommodative action. And then the government sent out, think about the United States, $7 trillion worth of money. And on an $85 trillion world economy, 14% of it was a government check. It wasn't only the checks here in the United States of America, but it was worldwide. And so you put all those together, this inflation is going to hang around just uh, an extended period of time. And the Fed cannot solve this by raising interest rates because it was the double barrel approach. We've never had that double barrel approach, both monetary and uh, fiscal policy. And so here's what's on my radar screen. I'm watching real closely. I watch oil prices because that's going to dictate your fertilizer. It's going to uh, prices and it's going to dictate some of the other costs. The other thing I'm watching real closely, Rachel, is consumer confidence. I watch the indicator it comes out of the University of Michigan every month. And right now, it's down in the 60, 70 range, and the consumer is not that confident. If that goes up to 90, then you're going to see this inflation kind of stay around. And, of course, we got geopolitics. We have something to skirmish over in Ukraine or over in Taiwan. All bets are off. And then finally, my good friend, Eric Snodgrass, who is with Nutrient Management, we do so many programs together. I call him Eric the Weather Guy. We've got to watch weather real, real closely because weather in the southern hemisphere of the world is going to dictate not only input costs, but also what the prices receive. And so that was a long answer to a short question, but those are some of the elements. And it wasn't just one thing. It was the confluence of things. <laughs> Yeah, it was a, a storm happening altogether that, that has resulted in some of these increased... Um, it's what we call a good old nor'easter. <laughs> That's right, especially uh, wintertime. That's on our minds. So, well, Dr. Cole, you are, always offer some great insights here on the issues affecting agriculture. Are there any other economic indicators uh, that we should be aware of or concerned about? One of the things that uh, I'm very concerned about is trade policy. We have no trade policy, agriculture, manufacturing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. One in five dollars in net farm income generated through export markets. There is no clear policy. And if I'm into soy milk, one in six days of milk now is exported. We look at poultry, you know, all the things that are in the ag choice area. I'm very, very concerned. And, you know, we had a chance to be part of the uh, Pacific Trade Agreement. They call it the TPP. When we decided we weren't going to be involved with it, guess who came in and applied? And they're trying to be ratified is China. The other thing is they have this uh, uh, what they call Regional Comprehensive Trade Agreement, which they developed amongst the Asian nations which is a lot of that global trade. And I'm extremely disappointed that there's no clear-cut agriculture trade policy. The other thing I think we got to be concerned about is our Fed. Uh, they're going to be meeting here in the next couple of days. You know, they've kind of signaled they're going to raise the interest rates possibly three times. Now, they're going to be walking a tightrope because if they increase rates too much, it's going to throw the economy into a recession. And so I can see, too. Matter of fact, 
Rachel, it's interesting. Uh, Alicia just gave them to me. Um, we're doing the cash flows for the creamery right now, and we've got some uh, money on variable rate. Well, I put in uh, 25 and a 50 basis point or a quarter, half percent in increase in interest rate. The worst case scenario, we put in three quarters out there. And so that's another one. The other one, this one concerns me, Rachel, is the consumer trends to the non-traditional milk or meat products. They are gaining hold. Last week when I was doing the group in Myrtle Beach, KFC announced the, you know, the plant-based initiative. And a lot of the big companies who are in traditional meat or milk, one of the things is they're making investments in these areas. And guess what? Uh, one of the biggest trends in China youth, and I call China youth uh, 20 to uh, 40 years of age, is they want plant-based products. That's a trend that's uh, gaining uh, momentum out there. And then I guess the last one, I, when I speak in Kansas, Nebraska, a lot of people kind of cringe at me. It's called the ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance. And uh, what's happening is, and I want the listeners to this podcast to realize that uh, we have activist investors, Walmart, all your Kroger, all your big companies. The activist investors and the consumers are demanding some benchmarks, some targets as far as environmental, social, and governance. And so one of the things, you're an individual producer out here, one of the things you're going to hear more and more about it, whether it's animal welfare or whether it's environmental, et cetera, et cetera, actually uh, our creamery. I'll just say one of the large grocery chains said, what are, are your ASG? And I basically gave them four, three or four things. We produce milk in the glass. And uh, one of the things I gave them a profile of our workforce, which is, 52% male, 48% female, and 35% minority. And uh, I gave about four or five other things because I was I was geared up on this. And they said, oh, okay, you can still sell your product. <laughs> Those are some of the things that I see very, very important as far as key issues, Rachel. Yeah, no, that's great and good good discussion there for our listeners to be aware of, of I guess, what's what's coming down the pike. Well, with, with so much uncertainty in the markets and really the world around us, as you sort of just described there, Dr. Cole, how can farmers position their business for future success? Boy, I've got a phrase, manage the controllables, manage around the uncontrollables. So I told the group in New Zealand the other day, you can't manage what comes out of Washington, D.C. or Beijing or Brussels or down there it was Wellington. I says if you concentrate your energy and your time on that, you're going to be very, very discouraged. And matter of fact, what you're going to do is tread water. One of the things that you really got to do is put energy toward the things that you can control, whether it's focusing in on the inputs. Uh, matter of fact, I think it's going to be a three-prong approach. It's going to be price, input costs, and interest rates. How are you going to be able to manage or focus on those? The, uh, the old-fashioned budgets, Rachel, and spreadsheets. And then what you do, you develop your financial sensitivity analysis. The other thing is, I think, uh, one of the most powerful statements for 2022 is going to be your cash flow statement. A lot of people throw up their hands, oh, I can't predict it. I don't know what prices are going to be or crops are going to be or input costs. 
That's where you do your but what if scenarios. Matter of fact, right over there on the desk, that's one of the things I'm going to be doing the next couple of days is doing those cash flow budgets. But here's the other one. You can't look at your financials once a year. And, you know, the drive-by financials, once a year, November and December, and I don't want to pay any income tax or et cetera, et cetera. That's out. Matter of fact, at the creamery right now, we're down to managing our financials weekly. And did you hear that? Weekly. And uh, what it's helped us do is tweak our business strategies. You know, we were in a young farmer uh, deal here this past weekend. And one of the things that uh, we ask them, you know, it's kind of like your program that you, you present out there. We ask them, what's one thing that you got out of the program? Well, we developed the business plan, but the business plan is a living, breathing document. In other words, what happens is you occasionally look at it, you tweak, and you adjust schedule. It's kind of like a football game or a basketball game. And uh, so those are going to be uh, some of the elements that I think are going to be very, very important. And by the way, you don't have to go it alone both for input, but also for mental health. Because sometimes, uh, you know, talking with your lender, talking to the agribusiness person, or even talking to the consumer on out there, sometimes that'll give you kind of that balanced approach that, you know, we're just not facing that mountain ourselves. So I want to kind of uh, give a plug out there for that as well. Yeah, no, that's a great point there, Dr. Cole. Certainly, we aren't alone in agriculture. Let's work together. Let's use our resources, right? And it's what agriculture is about. We, there certainly is a lot of uncertainty, but a lot of folks are around to help, too. That's Yeah, that's and, and as I uh, told the people, uh, good people find good people. Old dairy farmer, 30, 40 years ago, I was making a move from Virginia Tech back up to Cornell, and I, you know, I made a lot of nice contacts down here. And he says, remember, and this was over milking a cow. He says, good people find good people no matter where you go in the world. <laughs> Great. Good, good advice there, Dr. Cole. Well, as we wrap up, I know our listeners would love to hear what excites you the most about the future of agriculture. You know, I thought about that. And uh, you know what excites me the most? What happened this past weekend? And it's your program, the young and beginning, small minority type of farmer. I do about between 20 and 25 programs nationwide. And oftentimes they're multiple day programs. But one, I'm so excited uh, because these folks, they're just like sponges. They're out there to try to learn. They're, in other words, they aren't going to throw the older generations under the bus, but they want to kind of do it different and build upon uh, that expertise. They're into everything, gig income. One of the things is they might be a welder, they might be an ag teacher, they might be an agricultural lender. And one of the things that they found is sometimes those outside gigs brings in revenue, but it brings in expertise because, you know, you see how other people do something. And so that's one of the things that I find very, very exciting. You know, for your footprint, and I'll say it for our footprint, and that's what I told them in Raleigh-Durham uh, this past week, a third of the population is right in our back door. And it's a third of the population that has money. 
And one of the things is this growth of the niche market, the agro-entrepreneurism, the value added is going to be one of the very big positives that I see on out there. The other element that um, I really find, this is what I love about agriculture, and this is what I love about your organization, agribusinesses, agri-lending institutions, uh, educational institutions that are in agriculture, they want to give back. And it's not only money, but it's also time. You don't get that in other businesses and other uh, type of industry, and particularly where we're going to see more and more of an entrepreneurial type of uh, mindset out there. That is real critical. And as I told the folks the other day, somebody asked me, I was in Iowa uh, just before the holidays, and somebody asked me, well, you're going to bring good news to us? And I says, it depends on how you interpret it. But one of the things, Rachel, I'm very positive for agriculture for uh, the good manager. In other words, that can put the production together, but also the management, the finance, the operational efficiency, the risk management. When they can put that all together, it's going to put the odds in your favor. Am I going to guarantee success? No, but uh, it'll probably put you seven or eight years out of ten. Uh, you're probably going to be successful. But you know when it's all said and done, and you know it, you've experienced it, raising your children or taking someone that has an interest in agriculture. We've got an 11th grader that's working on our farms from when we were breeding cows, using the ultrasound machines and using some of the technology. He was just asking, just soaking it right up. And so the best crop you're ever going to raise uh, are going to be your children or maybe that young person that has interest in agriculture. If you can't get excited about those comments, then you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you, Dr. Cole. Those are some uh, great comments to end our podcast on. We just always appreciate having you to share your insights and perspective. And thanks for being on our podcast and helping us celebrate our 100th. Yeah, and hey, congratulations on the 100th. It takes a lot of organization and coordination, and I tip my hat to you all. Always enjoy uh, working with you all, and and again, your Young Farmer Program, where you work with other, uh, you know, key players in the industry. I tip my hat, and uh, you folks are out there on the leading edge as far as educational programs for the agricultural industry. Thanks, Dr. Cole. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, plus subscribe and share it with a friend. As always, you can head over to agchoice.com slash podcast to view the transcript and listen to other episodes. To catch all the latest from us, follow along on Facebook and Instagram at agchoicefarmcredit.